Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Yeah, I, I look back on my career and some of the best opportunities I got were leaps of faith. Were, were times in my life where I thought, the easy thing to do is not do this. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. You're now listening to The Coaches Network podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a UEFA A licensed, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B licensed coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League academies, I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host and the Coaches Network Analysis Specialist, Coach Ben. Ben is a UEFA A licensed coach who holds the FA Youth Award and a Masters in Sports Coaching, with 10 years of experience including working across the male and female youth development pathways, alongside a vast experience on individual player and team performance analysis. And as part of our Insight series, we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential. Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Network. Today I'm joined by my co-host Ben, and our special guest today, former England Lionesses manager, uh, nominee for Ballon d'Or Coach of the Year, and current Stevenage manager in League Two, Mark Sampson. How are you doing, Mark? Hi, guys. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Hope you're all safe and well. All good, yeah, thank you. All good on our end. So yeah, Mark, just want to get straight into it. Just let us know a bit about your coaching journey, how you've ended up where you are, where it started, and any key, key steps for you in along the way. Well, I've started probably where I think all of us started, really, playing, enjoying the game. Couldn't wait every day to get out in the grass and, and play with your mates and have a game on a Saturday. Uh, and then from there, then just looking at how can you stay involved if you're not playing and you want to do do more than just play. You know, so I started coaching at a young age and working with young players. And, and from there, just a I suppose a combination of hard work and right place, right time and opportunities have allowed me to 
had some incredible experiences in, luckily enough for me, in, in so many different levels and with so many different people across the, the breadth and width of the whole game. Brilliant. And, you know, where, where did that journey start? Because obviously, you know, we hate really a bit of background in youth football going into, uh, I think previously, was that Swansea Centre of Excellence, was it not? Yeah, that's right. I think, you know, my first probably dip my toe into the water was just coaching the, the local club, really. The club I played for from the age of probably five through to 16. Um, you know, once you get to 16, you're, you're playing on a different day to the younger lads. So just using my weekend to, to coach on the younger players on a Saturday as a 16-year-old yeah. myself and then playing youth football on a Sunday. Uh, and that was when you know, I realised then that yeah, there was so much to be gained, not from just playing, but actually I had a huge passion and love for helping people and young people in particular you know, learn more about the game, enjoy the game more, and ultimately, you know, do what I did and get some incredible experiences from playing the game. So that was where it, it probably really started, the coaching journey, and then mm. put myself out there to try and get more and more experience. Just, just on that, what, what sparked you as a 16-year-old to, to want to go and do some coaching in the first place? I think definitely it would, would go back to the love of the game, really, is that, you know, training once or twice a week and playing once a week probably wasn't enough. Um, just finding different ways to, to get involved, and you know, weirdly enough, I, my brother who's three years younger than me, was was playing for the same team, and and fortunately for me, he's far more talented than me. Um, so I think watching him play and and being around his training sessions and games, you know, rather than just standing on the side watching, and it was I was keen to get involved and help. So you know, getting in there and moving some cones around and doing a little mm. warm-up here and there and, you know, just finding different ways to to be involved in the game more. Mm. Mm. So just, uh, you know, leading on from that, obviously you've gone from youth football, starting as, you know, starting in the local clubs, moving into Swansea Centre Centre of Excellence. Massive changes, I guess, from what was then the Centre of Excellence to what is now a part of an academy within the EPPP. What were some of the key things that you noticed about the environment then? I mean, obviously Swansea weren't a Premier League club at the time. Yeah, Swansea weren't. They were um, and far from it, to be honest. We yeah. were um, we were competing in League One, in the middle of League One at the time. Um, limited resource, limited funding. Uh, and I think it would be fair to say that the, the academy was probably seen as a, a cost to the club, a burden to the club, rather than a, an investment for, for the future yeah. of the football club. And, you know, I think, you know, that they, they, they were challenging themselves that were great challenges to have. You know, working on facilities that you had to be adaptable. You know, you, you would turn up on a on a Tuesday night and you might have a quarter of a pitch. You might have a full pitch. You might have 20 players. You might have eight players. You know, and all those challenges mm. were, were things that you have to overcome as a coach and, and help you become more and more creative. Yeah, I couldn't help but uh, notice that you've got a bit of an academic background. So you, you have a BA uh, in sports development uh, from Carmen Met. Uh, Cardiff met at uni. Mm, like, right. how how integral was that in your like initial stages of your development? And like, is there anything that you've taken from it that you still yeah. use today? Well, I think strangely enough, for me, probably as a student, I didn't really, I, I probably didn't really fit that well into education, especially in school. Um, mm. I think one of my my passion from an early age was was football and sport, and I, I wanted to spend as much time as I could. You know, doing those activities, 
So, yeah. you know, going to university was probably a bit of a a jump into the, the unknown, really. Um, mm. And I think it was a really valuable experience. Probably helped allow me to, to put things in a, in a more articulate way and organise things a bit better. But mm. I think, you know, degrees are very different now to what they were back then. That was, crikey, that was probably 15 years ago now. And um, I think now, you know, if I was to go back now, I'd be far more happy, I think, completing some of the degrees now, which are a lot more bespoke for people who want to go into the coaching field or the, the football industry at the time. Degrees were very generic. There was probably only six or eight sports degrees in total being offered across the country, and all of which were very similar. Um, yeah. Not very bespoke towards you know certain paths you want to take. So I think my my university experience was one of trying to get as much coaching experience as I could to apply the information I was getting. So those three or four years there were were spent you know up in the morning for a lecture, jump in the car, drive somewhere, do a session, mm. jump back in the car, drive back to another couple of lectures, and back in the in cones and. And do another couple of sessions till ten o'clock at night. Go home, sleep, and repeat the next day. So you know the, the, the experience of, of education alongside practical experience, I think, was was really important for me and allowed me to get some employment when I left the university. And just in terms of um, you know going from this, you've done your degree. You know, you picked up what, what from my understanding your first role in now the women's game, Bristol Bristol City, Bristol City. Is that correct? Yeah, it was. Um, I spent probably a couple of two or three years at Swansea, brilliant experience. And at the time that the women's club was called Bristol Academy, we hadn't quite joined then at the time with the men's club. Okay. So it was a really good opportunity because you had a, in the men's game, there's, there's so much history involved and, and, and so much infrastructure that at times you can find yourself without a voice. And I was keen yeah. at that point in my career to, to take a chance really to, to put myself in a position where the decisions I was making would have some real implications and, and maybe shape and guide a football club. And, and also do that with a group of people who, your know, chairman, the CEO, um, all the people behind the scenes who were open to taking some risks because, you know, that time Bristol Academy were the only club in that competition who weren't supported by a men's club. So the financial challenges were, were massive. So the only way to be competitive was to do things differently. And I mm. think that as a coach, probably that's been my USP throughout my career of how can you do things different to the competition to give yourself mm. an edge. Mm. So that, that was a brilliant experience for, you know, right from the moment I got there to, to the moment I left. And I loved every minute, massive challenges, but, you know, challenges that, you know, we all grouped together and as a small group, we found ways to overcome. Just, just interesting. So, what you know, what sparked you in the sense of making that transition, going from youth football into the women's game in the first place? Then, I, I don't think at the time I really paid much attention to, you know, the gender side of, of you know, I'm moving from the men's game to the women's game. I think it was, mm. I, I've never really, rightly or wrongly, had a uh, professional goal. So, you know, by the time I'm this age, I want, I want to be doing this. I think I learned right. early on as a coach that. You know, there there was so much knowledge and experience out there that this is a really tough industry. You know, you've got people who've played the game for twenty years, who've got a vast amount of of experience and knowledge and network, and you've got people who've been studying coaching for twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years, 
yeah. vast network and experience and ultimately you're all in the boiling pot competing for a small number of jobs. So I think I always look to try and gain experiences and take opportunities that would expand my knowledge, expand my experience, test me, challenge me, and just get products I could get my teeth stuck into, really. Mm. And if that led to something great, if it didn't, it was I saw it as a valuable experience, and I just find the next one. Uh, and that was probably the, the the key behind that decision was to take a, a role where I could be a bit more of a decision maker. I think when you're in a an academy or a centre of excellence, you're you're part of a hierarchy and, and structures are probably put in place for you. So you have your input, but yeah. you're not the one ultimately mm. making the final say on, on what direction we go in. And it was a unique opportunity to, to basically start a club, start mm. yeah. from fresh and, and do things that if they went right, brilliant. If they didn't, you could quickly learn from it and you'd be better from it. I just want to harken back to your um, Bristol academy uh, experience there and you said that you had to obviously get creative with the limitations that are putting you and that's obviously a reality for a lot of coaches um, mm. that you can, you can imagine like what what sort of um, practical implications did that involve you doing in the day-to-day mm. no great question I think um, what one thing that has served me well over the course of my career is is looking at ultimately that you know if you're part of a competition so in that example, Arsenal were the best team at the time. Mm. Um, you know, big funding from the men's section, big support from the men's section, huge history, a lot of international players. And I think if you look at it and go, well, over the time I'm going to be at this football club at Bristol, they're going to get better. They're not going to get worse. They're not going to plateau. They're going to get better. So ultimately, we've got to get a better a lot faster. And mm. what, what are we going to do differently to them that's going to make our curve a lot steeper than theirs. So I think we just looked at things that, you know, other teams weren't doing. We were brave. You know, we, we took risks. We we did things that we knew might not come off, but, you know, if they did, would, would yield a huge benefit. Um, and, and I think that was always the challenge, to look at what the opposition and competition were doing and find different ways of doing it. And I think at the time, probably our USP was was two or threefold. Number one, it was bringing together a, a football club as a community. So mm. making it a, a great place to be for people. So players would be attracted to our football club because they knew that you know, it was a family. They knew that there would be an incredible spirit. They would enjoy their experience. They would be looked after. They'd be treated well. I think secondly, it was about player development. You know, we made sure that we spent a lot of time and effort on players, individual players getting better. So players knew that if they come to Bristol, the likelihood is that in a couple of years' time, big clubs would be knocking on their door or potentially international teams would be saying, we'd like to call you in. So that was a big sell for us and that allowed us to get players that we probably couldn't compete with financially with other clubs. But from a player development perspective, Mm. we got the right type of person in. And Mm. I think the final bit was that we... We identified little niches and, and modern trends that we could jump on before anyone else did. And, and we consistently had, a, had an eye on the future uh, with a youth development pathway. So I think those three put together with some, some incredibly hard work and great people, if you won't get far without great people, you know, allowed us to probably punch well above our weight. Just, just from the um, 
the development factor. It's quite it's quite interesting that you say that because uh, it feels like um, a lot of people in the coaching they kind of decipher the um, you know youth development from performance mm. and just think that once a, t- a player is in the first team, you know that's their final final product. How mm. important is it for you that? Um, for first team players to continually develop in order to aid their performance. Yeah, I th- I, again, I think that's a fantastic point. I think I, I probably would go that there's two two types of answers question, and both are really important in my experience. Is that I would I would always challenge the youth development coaches at our football club, and, and even the football club I'm at now, is mm. that your biggest responsibility is not just to provide me players who are good enough to play in the first team, but provide me players that are independent, accountable and responsible learners and developers. Mm. So by the time young players got to our first team at Bristol, you know, they were in a position where they knew what they needed to do, their work ethic, their learning mindset was was as high as it could be. And and I could effectively let them get on with it. And only at the point where they probably maxed out, where they were like, well, look, <clears throat> I'm doing as much as I can. I'm working as hard as I can but I just don't know what to do next to get better. And I think then is the manager's job to say, okay, well, how, how about trying this? And then mm. we can add that to their repertoire. And I think secondly is that, you know, ultimately as a team in a football club is that your biggest asset is your players. And if you're not developing your own players, you're missing a huge trick. So if, mm. if I look at from a men's game example is that Spurs signed Deli Alley for £5 million. And at the time, I'm sure Pochettino was knocking the chairman's door saying, I want to sign player X for 45 million. But what Pochettino's USP is, is that he can make a 5 million pound player, a 50 million pound player. Hmm. And if you're doing that, you're saving your football club a lot of money and you're becoming a lot more sustainable. And we had to. And all the clubs I've worked at have, have been clubs where to survive, we had to develop players to sell on, to reinvest and, and follow that process. So, I think that's a great point is that, you know, I'd always challenge the academy to make sure that, look, I don't want you doing IDPs that are forced on players. By the time they get to 16, they should be running their own IDP. They should be coming to you and saying, you know, I need more. And as a result, then, when they become a first-team player, it's not seen as a a need to do. It's seen as a a want to do. Mm. Right. Just on that, then, you talk a lot about about essentially players taking ownership at some stage now. What can you do? You know, what have you done as, as, as you, as a coach, then to kind of encourage that? Aside from just letting them take in charge of the IDP, how do you ensure that they're mm. actually making a good, uh, I guess, account of self of self reflection on themselves? Yeah, it's again, it's that's probably uh, holes, that in my experience. I've been lucky enough to work with some some top players and be around your know, top environments outside of football, outside of sport, and and one of the key. If I was looking at what binds those people yeah. together, you know, they've obviously got a lot of characteristics that have allowed them to achieve what they've achieved. But I think one of the common characteristics that is probably non-negotiable for all of them is that they have got this insatiable learning mindset, this insatiable self-belief to they're going to get what they want to get and they're going to do what they need to do to get there. And, and that they take responsibility for that. And I think as a coach is that, yeah. you know, one of your biggest responsibilities is to manage accountability. So when I start working with a player, it might be 80% coach-driven, 20% player-driven. 
then over the course of time is that you know you you've got to be asking good yeah. open questions and challenging the player to move that accountability scale down until the point where it gets 80% player, 20% coach. And I think practically what can you do is that, well, if I look at the start of it, you know, I, I work a lot with individual players now, both at my club and um, with players I've worked with previously, I still work with now to this day on a one-to-one basis. And a lot of the time it might start with, well, here are some clips I provide as a coach I want you to look at. And then, more moving further down the accountability scale, it'll be, well, look, you go away and you find some clips that we can discuss. And some of the players I work with now, again, my job is that every Monday they call me and they'll go, right, here are the clips I want to discuss. This is my action plan. This is how I felt I did. These are the things I think I can get better at. What do you think? And in the main now, I'm pretty much saying, I think you're bang on. So what are we going to do this week? Yeah. And then they set their own targets. And I think mm. managing accountability is so critical. It's, it's hard as a coach because you want to be seen as the leader. You want to be seen as the person who is, is guiding the programme. I want to show you how much I know. But actually, once you can show a bit of vulnerability and put the ego to one side and just step back, yeah. I think you've often, you can often be surprised, actually, how independent players can be. Just so, you know, you, spent, you then spent four years at Bristol Academy and then You've ended up at England. <laughs> how did that happen? How did that come along? Exactly? Yeah, it was. I don't, I'm not sure I realised at the time how big a jump it was, but but obviously it was a massive jump. And I think at the time is that I was third, just turned That's... 31. Um, yeah, I just turned 31. And it was an opportunity where at the time I had such, I was having such a great time at Bristol in terms of we were doing so well. And everything we had was was growing in the direction we wanted to grow. It it wasn't a project that was finished. You know, we, we were just scratching the surface really about the type mm. of club we wanted to be. We had we had this motto about doing things differently, but one of our deepest motivations that we wanted to prove that a women's football club didn't need a men's club to be competitive mm. and successful. And that was mm. huge for us and, and we felt that we could go a long way. So when that England job was made available. I think it was a big decision to even put yeah. the name in the hat because you know, we all felt I had a connection to Bristol. I had an affiliation to all the players and the staff and the club. And it felt like you're sort of leaving your family, really, to, to go and yeah. start a new one. Um, but, you know, at the time, I felt it was an opportunity that if it was offered to me, I couldn't turn down. So, yeah, I went through a process of, of like any job, really, of applying, of going through various different interviews and assessments and, and giving myself the best chance of getting that sure, opportunity. I'm just curious, in, the, in that process, you, know, uh, you, you obviously went yeah. on to do your pro license. Was that during the time of England or how did that, how did that come about? Yeah, so I think I, at the time when I got the England job, I probably maxed out, really, in terms of coach ed. Um, I'd done my license in my 20s. Um, I, you know, done as many professional qualifications as I could. And, and the next step, really, was to get on the pro licence. So, um, yes, yeah, similar again. You'll go through the application process, go through the vigorous assessments that they put through. Um, and it was lucky enough to get on a course. And, and that was, again, another you know, brilliant experience, really, not just in terms of what was the content that was delivered, but probably more importantly, the, the people you get to to meet on the course and share experiences and, and that's been my experience of Coach Ed right the way through, whether it be delivering it mm. back in the day 
football or taking part was, you know, the content was some was ten percent of what you gained, but in the main you gained sharing experiences with thirty, forty, fifty people who have experienced so many different things to what you have. Definitely, I think so. And now I just want to ask in, in terms of um uh like Bristol Bristol's uh actual like uh, tournament runs because I'm looking I've seen like uh, your domestic cup runs and you actually went quite far in them. Do you feel like that kind of um, plays a huge part in their decision uh, for England's decision to appoint you? And also like what sort of aspects do you think is different in a tournament game in comparison to like a league game? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, yes, it did because I think at the time, when, when those type of big jobs come around, you know, football's a tough game, you know, however good or bad you are, you know, you're going to have ups and downs. I mean, even your Klops and Guardiola's have bad seasons. Mm. And I think you're fully aware that when you're, when you're on it and you're doing well, you know, you, you need to consider about, you know, what your next steps are. But yeah, I think, again, going back to what was our USP, well, to put ourselves on a map, I think we knew that over a 20 odd game season, it's going to be very, very difficult in the early times to win a league. You know, we again we had the lowest budget in the competition. We were playing with the youngest team in the competition. To ask that team in year one and year two to to try and be competitive in terms of winning leagues and being at the top was it's just never going to happen. We weren't consistent enough. We hadn't gone through enough mm. of the learning process as a team. We hadn't built enough chemistry or organisational spirit. But in a cup competition. Yeah, you, you know you can you can play it as a one-off match, and yeah, you're only ever in the women's game five wins away from winning an FA Cup, and you know we identified that and targeted that as a, a potential to grow our football club, and yeah, definitely we did we treat them differently without a shadow of a doubt. You know, I think we could we could spend more time preparing, we could look at the opposition, we probably set up in a way which was different in cup competition than we did in the league as, as a bit of a surprise element. Um, and, and it served us really well. You know, it's three years at the club. We, we got to a FA Cup final the first season, semi-final the second season, and final in the third season. So we never did worse than the semi-final. And if it wasn't for blooming Arsenal, we probably would have won the FA Cup twice. Couldn't quite get past them in the final. But... Um, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, they, they were competition games we targeted, and and they also served me well then for for the England format because obviously in international format you are judged on how you perform in tournaments. In tournaments. Yeah, if you look at even in the men's game, we, we took a, we took great heart from teams across the world who maybe budget wasn't as big and they couldn't quite get over the line to win a league, but were great in cup competitions. If you look at Atletico Madrid, for example, at the time in Spain, you know they were consistently performing to in the Champions League and Europa League, winning the competition, getting the finals, and you know they they had a way of playing that made them very difficult to knock out of cup competitions, but probably didn't allow them to win enough games to win a league, and that's yeah. probably where we were at the time. Just just on that, then you know. I, it's interesting, obviously, you talk about the dynamic, obviously, cup competitions against the league and how maybe your time at Bristol set you up for the England role. What would you say are the key differences, in, you know, in terms of how you approach the whole setup? Because obviously, working with the England, England players, you're working on national camps that are P 
periodically set out throughout the year, um, as opposed to working with you know with a first team of some sort where you're actually there for the whole season, you're working day in day out, and not really having to think about what's happening in between <coughs> those periods of contact. If that makes sense, what would you say are the major differences for you and what the consideration you need to make when you're I guess in each of those situations? Yeah, I mean. If- like I think with every every project I've got, oh, that's a bad word. Sorry, every job I've gone into or challenge, yeah, I think it's, it's so important to to start off by saying, well, right, where where do I want to get here? Where do we want to get? You know, when I started at Bristol, you know, the mission was to uh, to prove people wrong, to show that we can be the most successful club in the country and compete in Europe without the benefactor of a, a benefactor as a men's club. And then when you go to England, you're thinking, well, you know, ultimately the challenge here is to to win a major tournament. And you know, we 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 started and went, well, look, what we want to do, we want to we want to win a World Cup, we want to establish ourselves as the best team in the world, and if we can do that, we'll inspire a nation that women's football is is something that you know wouldn't was was not what it was back then. And I think mm. once you set that target and set those goals, you you can work back then. We'll go right. Well. First and foremost, we're a hell of a long way from getting there. So let's just plot out the journey. So, you know, if, if we're going to get here, if we're going to win a World Cup, you know, what what, what have we got to do to do that? Yeah. You, know, you end up with this, this massive document around, well, we've got to do this first and then do that. But, you know, when, when you've got a long-term vision, you know, if you're not careful and you haven't got short-term goals to, to show yourself you, you move in the right direction towards it, that long-term vision can sometimes see, seem too far away and you might lose motivation. So I've always been clear that, yes, we'll have that long-term motivation. That's what gets us up in the morning. You know, Who couldn't get up in the morning about, you know, what my job today is to get us closer to inspiring a nation. But, you know, if eventually that can get not be enough and you need to know, well, okay, that, I know it's a long way away, but I know if I do X and Y today, I'm a little bit closer. Yeah. So I think that's always mm. been... A process I've gone through in any job, and that was the process I went through when I first got in with England. And yeah, just on that, like uh, obviously, there's this uh, big approach now in uh, modern day coaching in terms of um, having some sort of holistic uh, approach um, to the towards the players, and uh, part of that is obviously a sort of um, socio cultural um, aspect of it. Um, in your England squad, and uh, obviously in your Stevenage squad, you've had uh, you've had like players of uh, from ethnic minorities uh, backgrounds, and I, I'm just saying that like as a as a black coach, and my in my experiences, there's a lot of uh, uh, unconscious biases that do play in the game, and you've obviously had your incidences there. Uh, what would you say um, for coaches that may not know now, but they they have a bit of a unconscious bias towards, uh, you know, a certain group of their players within the team in comparison to others. How would you? Tra- how have you gone on to challenge your mindset uh, on that? And how would you recommend for someone who was in that previous mindset to do so? No, I think that's a great question, and certainly you, you, you're right. You know, and obviously speaking from experience, there you've. You clearly recognise and felt, you know, some some bias and some experiences that other coaches, other players wouldn't have. And I think, in in the world we live in today, that you know, everyone has a a responsibility to 
you know, proactively go out of their way to to challenge those biases and challenge those mindsets. It's not enough anymore to to just say, well, I, I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, I think that's hmm. probably been the mindset in the past, is that, well, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm not doing anything to to promote those biases. But I think, you know, the world we live in now, our, our moral responsibility is to proactively challenge ourselves, first and foremost, go, and out, go actively and proactively educate ourselves to, to make sure that we're fully aware of the, the, the biases we hold, like you said, that can, can certainly be unconscious and, and in the main, I'm sure, are. And, and in other mm. examples, probably aren't. And then ultimately, hold yourself to a set of standards that are higher than, than, than what would probably be expected as normal before. And, and act, actively be out there and actively be doing things that you know challenge those biases, not just from your own, but other people. And also, I think, having mm. the bravery and courage which other people have, have had to have to to challenge things that you see or hear in environments that probably confirm those biases. I think we've all been in environments where we've we've heard or seen things that you know there's a little bit of us that goes, not sure that that sits right with me. Yeah. I think a lot of us can be guilty, I know I have been and am at times of, of just walking away. Well, all right, well, it doesn't affect me, so I'll leave it. But I think moving forward, we have to be better at, you know, challenging those openly. And and when I say challenge, I mean opening dialogue, opening conversation. Uh, that, mm. that ultimately is, if everyone can do that on a wider scale, or certainly a higher percentage of people, you know, we, we certainly won't solve the problem, but we'll certainly move closer to getting to a far better place than we are now. Well, just on that. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, you're going through that experience. Obviously, you know, it's, you've had your, you've had your circumstances that you've dealt with. Just how is that? How is that going through that situation? Obviously, with the England, England situation, changed your mindset around things. Obviously, you touched a bit a bit about it there. Was it was it an unconscious thing for you to start with, and that I guess your awareness has been raised to it, or you know, what was the process? Because I'm also aware that you know you attended a kick it out course um, just to kind of. And I'm assuming that the course would have just explained a bit more about the, the some of the challenges, the racial challenges that you know the, the game faces in that respect. What were the key changes for you in terms of your mindset, and your perspectives after after going through some of the situations you have been through? Mm. I probably articulate similar to what I just have in that I think you, as a as a coach in the game prior to to what I probably experienced, is that. I was I was one of those people who said that, well, I'm I'm not I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm yeah. I'm just going about doing I'm doing enough, and and you know a lot of people I think when when an issue doesn't directly affect them, it's obviously not as important to them as someone who is being affected by an issue, and yeah. that can be a number of issues. Hmm. You know we we've all got things that have affected us that we're a bit more prone to and an open mind to the same. Well, I've been through that. That's not a good experience, and I'm keen to make sure that no one else does, and certainly I don't again. And mm. I think you know, open your mind to the issues that other people experience that you never will, you can't, um, is, is is crucially important because as a coach and as a human being, but certainly as a coach, you know, ninety percent of our job is building connections with people because yeah. that 
age-old mm-hmm. saying of no one cares what you have to say until they, until they know you're saying it for the right reasons. And I think if you want to build connections, understanding people is so important. So having more of an open mind has certainly been something I've, I've taken on board and, and moved forward with. But that, that would be the key phrase, is that if you're not doing, any, if you're not doing something, then you're not doing anything. If you're not yeah. part of the solution, then you're probably part of the problem. And I think you know a lot of the ex- the education experience I've since gone through has put me in a position where you know I need to actively now proactively you know go about making a change, not just yeah. personally, but helping others and, and taking part in things that look to change and challenge mindsets and you put it well and conscious biases. Um, and and I, mm. I've certainly taken that on board, and even now in the role I'm in now. And professionally, let alone away from the football club, you know, we, we, I'm really proud of the environment we've got, whereby we've, we've opened up conversation, we've opened up dialogue, we've, we've heard experiences, and, you know, what, what, it's so, what's the phrase, it's so, oh, it opens your mind so much to be part of a conversation where you can hear and see people's reactions to hearing something from a, uh, a teammate or a colleague, that they would never have known. And ultimately, we don't know what we don't know. And, and trying to get more information across and share more experiences and, and get people in a position where they can be less vulnerable can certainly challenge mindsets and, and open some opportunities for people to think in a different way and then, as a result of that, act a different way. Mm. Just on that then, so you know some of the things you've, you've been through there, you talked about there, you know, the, that phrase, and you don't know what you don't know. So would you say there have been times where, you know, you've encountered these issues where maybe you've said something out of line, but not not being fully aware of the impact it could have in that respect then? I know I have. That's, that's for sure. I think, you know, in, in, in relation to many aspects. Yeah. We, you know, you, you say something with an intention, but, you know, it's not heard in that way. And, you know, again, challenging your own mindset, challenging your those unconscious biases are so important to put yourself in a position where you know, you're aware of the people you're working with, the people you're communicating with, because in any form of communication, there's a sender and there's a receiver. Yeah. And again, going back to from a coaching perspective, is that you know, one of the most important parts of our job as coaches is you know, h- how can we send an information that is heard in the way that we want it to be heard? Yeah. If I'm telling my right back that I want them to, you know, be a be a false fullback where the ball's on the opposite side and sneaking between the lines. And, but it might sound great to me, but it, it might be heard in a very different way. So I think you know, building those connections, having more understanding of of what everyone's everyone's been through, what everyone's going through, can yeah. only help you communicate in a real, clear, concise, honest way in which the the information you're giving is received in a way it's intended to be given. Mm. No, I do appreciate uh, you talking about this because obviously, in this uh, current time that we're living in, is 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 a big conversation uh, being had now about uh, the quality of, uh, well, in particular, black lives and uh, you know other sort of uh, ethnicities that are going on. Uh, in regards to the game as a whole, you can see that there's, uh, I think, the statistic is uh, there's around like thirty percent uh, black footballers. And I th- uh, to my knowledge, I think is three uh, black managers in the professional uh, setup, first team wise. 
um, what are your thoughts on that? And why do you think there's such a disparity between like the proportion of players that are actual ethnic minorities and coaches? No, I mean, thank you, first and foremost, and share your experience as well. It's, um, you know, it's, it's always no powerful problem. when people share their own experiences. Uh, it's always yeah. helpful for people to hear those experiences because there's a lot of people who will never go through them. So thank you. I know it's, it's answer no the question. Uh, yeah, there's not, is there? there? There's not a fair representation when you look at um, the number of players versus the number of, of coaches and managers. Clearly, it's not a fair representation. And there's so much more that, that needs to be done to challenge that. But, you know, it's, it, it is a situation and a problem that is, is there throughout the game. And I think only by going through the processes that we've, we've talked about earlier can we start to challenge those, those unconscious biases. Can we start to challenge those potential mindsets that are there to start to change that, that situation? And, and ultimately... I think education is, is so important in every aspect, isn't it? Every area, but particularly in relation to when we're talking about mm. understanding of these types of issues. You know, what, what are we doing as, a, as an individual? What are we doing as an organisation? What are we doing as a game, potentially, to, to make sure that mm. everyone's educated, to, to give everyone a fair opportunity to, to apply for jobs, to access jobs, to get opportunities to show their ability? And I think moving forward, that is certainly a challenge for everyone. No, definitely, because uh, even uh, for me, and my like my experiences that I've seen, uh, um, the the experiences of players are even a bit different. Even though like the proportion is quite high um, in the play in the playing uh, sector of it, like the perception of the players is quite different, and you see it in accordance to the positions. So. Obviously, a lot of um, coaches will regard like centre mids as being, um, you know, quite tactically adept and clever um, in their in their way, and there there may be a player of a uh, from an ethnic minority background that that does have the skill sets to play there, but because of their, um, you know, obvi- obvious sort of um, physical ability, they tend to be put on the wing because it's a quite well general statement that is a is a generally simpler job than playing in centre midfield and it's, it's just quite inter- it's just quite interesting to, uh, to hear what you say today because I feel like all the time we need to be challenging ourselves and what we're thinking and it's a lot more easier for someone from an effort um, minority background to do so because you are the minority and you we've had to you've had to grow to to know about the the environment that you're in so like for us being in England we always understand um, the culture of the English people, how or, or the British people, shall I say? How is that getting reciprocated if we're in, we're all in the same world that we're living in here? Mm. So, um, yeah, I just want to uh, move on uh, back to the football. I see that you mainly use like a, in in your past, you've mainly used the like a four five one three five two throughout your first team experience. What have you seen? Uh, that is beneficial about the system and what sort of shortcomings have you encountered with it? Well, I think... And correct me, correct me if it's no, no, wrong. No, no. <laughs> I think, you know, first and foremost, with knowledge of previous point you made, it's, it, that's an incredibly powerful point you've made there. Obviously, from your experiences, sharing what you felt, what you've seen, what you've heard, again, you know, opens up that difficult dialogue for some people. Um, but mm. the... the the only way in which situations can move forward and challenges can be, can be overcome 
is by you know people being brave enough to share those experiences. So thank you. In terms of, of, of tactically, is that I mean to be honest, it's probably not a formation I haven't used. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, whether that's a good or a bad thing, I don't know. Um, I think what what I would say is, is as, as I've got more experience and older as a coach, I, I've tried to turn the, my probably own methodology and thought process on its head in terms of hmm. tactics. And, 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 and this is not revolutionary new, it's just my own exp- opinion and experiences. Um, is that I think ultimately the game comes down to you know, players making decisions on the field, first and foremost as an individual, secondly as hmm. a, a part of a unit, and then obviously then as part of the collective. And I think I, I try to move now in a direction in which by they become my tactics. So trying to help the players understand individual tactics first and foremost. So to give a, a simple example as I possibly can would be, I'm a right back. I keep saying a right back because I was a right back. Uh, <laughs> I'm a right back. The opposition left back's got the ball. He's got time on it. I'm playing against the left winger. Okay, well, what individual tactics have I got to defend this situation? Uh, and I think once you, once mm. you educate players to a level where they can really handle those situations, it's much easier then to be going, right, well, now I know what's happening on the ball. I can then think about where my opponent is and where my other opponents are and where my teammates are. And once I've got that information, I can work out what type of decisions I'm going to make. And I always remember work. I was lucky enough to work with Roberto Martez at Swansea and Roberto was so focused on individual development whether mm. that be from a technical point of view a tactical point of view game understanding psychological and his big view is that ultimately mark if, if you've got 11 players who can all handle 1v1 situations whether that be they're facing their opponent with the ball or without the opponents on the side with or without the ball they're involved in the chase yes. with or without the ball then you've got nothing to worry about tactics because just put them on the field that's yeah. always reigned true with me that if you can educate players well individually and as a result of that have a real clear understanding of the game when, when, where, how, what, how, what, if you're going to be in a good place tactically. So I think that you have that starting structure, obviously, but I think the big thing is is that how am I educating my players to think in a way that as a team we're thinking the same direction. Yeah, I understand that. Just on that there, the individual development now, some would say that is a quite it's quite challenging. Obviously, you know when you're working in a I guess a more senior and elite environment, you've got many coaches and many part members of the multidisciplinary teams to support you with obviously delivering these sessions. What would you say is a key, uh, some of the key considerations that or key planning aspects that you might need to take into consideration when actually approaching that individual development stuff? And how much of that is going to be done within the group, on and how much of that that mm. say should be done on a one to one or small group basis in that respect? Yeah, I think uh, ultimately, I, I, my view on, on tactics, individual work is that, you know, f- freedom and framework, you know, they're always big, big decisions and conversations a coach needs to have with themselves and the team is that, you know, how much of our game is based on a framework and how much of our game is based on freedom. And, and based, if you look at various different teams, you can quickly see. So I go back to that. When I watch Atletico Madrid, I'm thinking, well, for me, that looks like a team. And there's no wrong or right. It's everyone's personal opinion. And the ultimate world judged by results at the highest level. They look like a team that are 90% f- 
framework and there's a 10% element of freedom. Whereas if I watch uh, a Manchester City, I can see a clear framework, but I can also see a lot of freedom. So I'm moving towards 50-50. And if I look at Liverpool, I'm thinking, well, do you know what? That, that framework is incredibly strong, but I'm also seeing a massive amount of freedom. And, and I think that's always the decision you've got to make. And for, in relation to individual development, you're really, you know, you want to be making sure that your players are doing what they're good at far more than what they're doing they're bad at. Uh, um, and mm. how can I create a structure and a framework that allows my players to express themselves and do what they're good at more often than not and when you put it all together is that well if for example with England we were lucky that we had a our centre forward's main strength is running in behind and then you think well if I can put a player in behind her whose super strength is playing through passes and finding space in between the lines then Start to get some chemistry then. Yeah. If I look further back, and if I've got, well, if my right midfield player is going to come inside off the line and thread through passes, well, if I can find a right back who can overlap and enjoys getting forward, then hmm. suddenly we start to see some chemistry. And I can balance that off with a hold of midfield player who can cover that side of the pitch more often than not. We're looking like a good team. So I think it's always that balance of freedom versus framework is always something a coach has got to consider. Hmm. And then just, uh, just on that, like you've, you've already started to touch on it, um, in, in terms of the sort of rotations that are going on, uh, what would you say is like the main identities of a, a Mark Sampson team? Yeah, great question. And I think I, I'd like to think is that I'd all, I'd always challenge myself to say that you know once I've spent a bit of time working with the team, if if they weren't wearing the wearing the jersey and they had no names on their back. Within five minutes, someone could say, "Yeah, that's that's the Mark Sampson team." And mm. I think a lot of my, what I'd like to think, would be probably some some superficial things that for me have always been important. I'd like to think people will go, "That's an incredibly hardworking team." You know, mm. you know, this team are a really, really outworking their opponent and leaving nothing left in the tank. Uh, there's a team that there's a there's a clear sense of enjoyment of playing together of, of of being passionate about what they're trying to do, and I think thirdly there's there's a sense of there's an idea. So whether that idea is a defensive idea, an offensive idea, a play from the back idea, a long ball idea, I can see an idea. Uh, so I'd like to think they would be the three things that if I'm sat in the stand watching a team that didn't know was coached by me for a couple of years, I'd be going, if they work hard, or oh, there's a real sense of spirit and chemistry in that group. You can see they enjoy playing together. And lastly, that I get their idea. Whether it works or not, I don't know, but I think I know what they're trying to do. Mm. And it might not work today, but yeah, they've got an idea and you can see why that might work more often not. Brilliant. And just, just, you know, just touching a bit on that, so you talked a bit there basically about your philosophy and... You know, I, I like the whole the whole thing about the freedom versus um, framework stuff as well. And I think it is important for me, obviously, you know, I've always thought about it from a perspective of, you know, you, you can either set the team up the way you want, but then you're going to have to fit mm. the players to that. You know, and not, unfortunately, we're not, we're not all in a situation where we're blessed as Pep Guardiola where he picks exactly what he wants to see <laughs> and he goes and picks a player that does the job that he wants done exactly to the way that he wants it done to, to an extent. So I think there is a, there is that that element that a lot of coaches should really consider what that freedom is and how much of that framework you should be put in place. Mm-hmm. Moving on from that, what would you say has been 
your biggest challenge of your coaching journey? And how have you gone about dealing with that? You know, touched it on stuff with yeah. racism and stuff like that, but away from that, have you felt mm. you faced any other major challenges in your, in your career or you might even be going through one now where you feel like, you know what, I haven't quite dealt with it yet, but you've got an idea of what you might need to do or how you might go about dealing with it. Yeah, great question. And I think, look, yeah, I, I'm, I'm 30, I nearly forgot how old I was. I'm 37, I think. And I've been coaching for 20 years. And it's still a right back. <laughs> I wish <it> was, yeah. <laughs> Probably move the goalkeeper now. But first I can get anywhere on the field, I'll take. But um, <laughs> no, look, I think after 20 years in coaching, what I've realised is that, yeah, there's always going to be the next challenge. And, you know, have, having an open mind to challenges and, and just accepting it that it's part of the journey, I think is such an important skill. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, there's two mindsets when you go into a, a manager's job. And I think that one's very positive and can only, and can, can bring, it will give you a chance to bring the positive outcome. One's very negative, and I think the only outcome can be negative. And I think if you go into a job thinking, I need to do whatever I can not to get sacked, which I've, I've experienced a lot working with people and seeing that environment, I just don't ever feel that anything positive can come from a negative thought. Uh. And, and one thing I've challenged myself to do is accept that losing your job, losing matches, is just part of the process. Doesn't mean you're not going to try your absolute utmost not to lose and not to lose a job, but it is part of, part of the industry that we work in. And I think if you can leave that there and you can just box that off, then suddenly you can be a lot more creative, a lot more positive, a lot more willing to take risks, to give yourself a chance to learn, to be better. And ultimately, if you do those two things, then your team will be better. And yeah. I think that's probably been my biggest learning over the course of my career is that. Look, ultimately, like bad things are going to happen. You know, you've just got to make sure that you are committed. You're strong with your beliefs, with your intentions, and and when those bad things happen, you have to view them as a learning experience. You know, to get better and, and evolve. And if you've got that mindset, I just do think you'll give yourself a better chance of, of being successful. Definitely. And just in, within that, obviously, you, know, you talked a bit about staying positive, and you know. When, when you are in the you know in the midst of a challenge of of some sort, how do you go about keeping yourself inspired and keeping yourself motivated to I guess be your best all the time and be you know, be on the front front foot all the time in that respect? Hmm. No, look, it, it is it's hard. I find it hard. I know that for sure. I I find it difficult at times to you know when things aren't going well, when you're not maybe winning matches and you you maybe not getting your your philosophy across to your, your players as much as you'd like, or you're, you're having challenges working with the 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 owners or your, your line managers, or, or you're out of work and you find it difficult to get back in. I think, you know, during all those moments, it goes back to something that I've tried to adopt with teams is that, well, you know, what is my vision? What, what am I here? What am, what am I here to do professionally? And, and ultimately, what, what step do I need to take today, this week, this month? to get closer to that vision and, and try and get your back self back to the process of, well, okay, well, what will be, will be, I, I can't control whether someone will give me a job. I can't yeah. control as much as I wish I could. If we won on a Saturday, if you ever find a way, let us know. I wish I'd be a lot richer than what I am now. <laughs> I think 
think that's the challenge is that you know what what can I do in the short term? What's in my control? It sounds a, a boring phrase, a much said phrase, but I think it's so important. What's the process I've got to go through to give myself the of getting closer to that vision? And I think yeah. every time I've had tough times, I've tried to go back to that. And even if it takes time to sit down, reflect on it, adapt it, tweak it, but just give myself the right motivation to say, okay, well, this week, this today, this month is about this. And I'm confident if I keep doing these things right, you know, I'll, I'll be happy in myself and happy in my career. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've heard a lot about, obviously, um, your coaching philosophy and playing philosophy in this uh, podcast. Uh, what would you say is the biggest bug when it comes to coaching? Like, what, what is it in the game that you're seeing that uh, you may not particularly be a fan of? Good question. I th- I'm not sure on that one. Um, I think what, what I would say, I'd probably reflect back to my own experience, is that, you know, if I look yeah. back on a young Mark Sampson, what, what would bug me about him? And um, yeah. I think one of the biggest, what, probably the thing that stands out would be that he was in a rush. And as much as that at times can be a positive thing because it, it can be perceived as ambition, you know, what it can mean is that you take shortcuts to get to places you want to get to. And I think what I've learned now is that, you know, as much as like a player, you know what players say that I could have been, I could have been this player, I could have been that player, I didn't get the opportunity, I didn't get the break. And I often think, do you know what, maybe there's some truth in that, but I just can't believe that if you were as good as Lionel Messi, you weren't a professional. I, I can't believe that. And, and um. like with coaching is that I, I'm, I'm of the belief that you know, if you get yourself to a level in which you become impossible not to be given an opportunity, then you will get an opportunity. And I think going back, probably what's my biggest bugbear then would be just you know, people who, were, myself as a young person, was just taking shortcuts in a rush, you know, not taking those opportunities to learn, getting those hours on the grass. You know, why, why am I not full-time yet? Well, I don't want to work with the under-fives anymore. I don't want to work at this fun set. I don't want to be dragging balls, bibs and cones in my car. And, and instead of mm. just embracing those experiences, getting the most out of it, knowing that if I do, I'll probably get the opportunities I want to get, even if it takes a bit longer than what I hoped. Mm. Just, just on that then, you know, quite a good way to look at it, I think. And I think a lot of coaches, you know, probably listening, I should really take a lot of that mindset of be part of the process rather than thinking too focused on the end goal. Um, because obviously along the process, I mean, I've certainly found in my career anyway, my journey, that where I wanted to start or where I started, so where I wanted to end up, I thought it's the same place I want to end up now. And, you know, my journey's taking me to different uh, avenues within different age groups, different environments, and, and, that, and uh, even within coach education. I've really, it's really helped shape me in a different way. So I don't, definitely think coaches should take that on board. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think as a coach is that you know, often we, we preach to our players something and then we don't role model it ourselves. So <laughs> we're, we're, the, we're the ones saying, you know, you need to do extra work. You need to, you know, focus on what you can control. You need to, you know, be better at the end of the day than what you were at the start of the day, which is all great advice. And, and as a coach, sometimes we just got to go back to, well, actually, you know, if I believe in that and I think that'll make my players better, then really I should probably be role modeling that to the players myself. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately you are, you know, you, Whatever level you work at, and whatever level I've worked at, I've worked at every level. I've I've been coaching the under fours, where 
you know, I had 25 four-year-olds in a 20 by 20 sports hall and my only objective was to make sure none of them escaped within the hour. And, you know, if I'm thinking that I want to teach, I want to get more out of this, well, I'm not being fair to the players. I want to give the, me the best version, give them the best version of me. All right. And if you could uh, turn back time and talk to yourself uh, when you first got into coaching, uh, what would you tell it? Good question again. I mean, I think probably a, li- a little bit on the lines of um, of what I just talked about. Yeah. Um, but I definitely think that, you know, we you've got to be careful. And I know I, I would tell myself this, is that, you know, make, make sure that you open yourself up to being a human being as well as a football coach. Mm. And I think as a young person, and my family would tell, would tell you that I'm still the same now, but it's something I'm working on, is that I would probably go 10 days without speaking to a friend or without doing anything for myself, without putting myself in any other environment other than the coaching field and in front of the laptop. And mm. I think... You know, part of being a coach is being a human being. And, you know, the advice I would give myself as a young person would be, you know, put yourself in situations that you aren't comfortable with outside of football, mm. and it will certainly help you in football. You mm. know, we, all, we always, as a coach, I learned it with England. When, when I becoming the manager, sorry to transgress a bit, is that I went from having four staff, two of which are part-time, at a club, to having 26 full-time staff. And I suddenly realised that 90% of the things I was doing at Bristol, I had other people to do. And part of that challenge is, you know, stepping back, giving some ownership to other people. Um, And ultimately, it's about understanding people and, and put yourself in positions where you can understand players, and if you if you haven't experienced what a lot of your players or staff have experienced, it's very possible. It's very difficult to build a relationship. So I certainly think not just part of being a great person, but being a good coach is. And I would tell young Mark Sampson, this is go out and experience things. You know, travel, have a social life. You know, yeah. hang around with people that you probably think, well, they're not in my social circle, but I'm going to put myself in that situation. Read yeah. more, study more. You know, things outside of your your comfort zone because they can only help you as a football coach. But when I was younger, I couldn't dot the I's and cross the T's and, and put them two together and understand yeah. that they both affect each other. So just just following on from that, what would you say if there, if there has been at all um, the, main, the the biggest influence on your journey to date? And you know, that could have been thought in the in the form of a lesson that you've learned, or it could even have been you know. Met, Information or insight that you picked up of some potential mentors of yours of yours. No, great question. I think the definitely I would always encourage people. Mentors have played a significant part. Maybe I could argue the most significant part in my career. Yeah. I, I I got lucky. I, I have to be honest. I you know came across people in in jobs early doors who to this day are still people. I think are not just amazing people, family friends, but incredible coaches and football people who've helped me a lot and and I've actively stayed in touch with them and and made an effort to communicate with them both on a personal and professional level to keep getting better so that would definitely be something I would say that is important Uh, and then I think that yeah that 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 bit of 
you know, just making sure that as an early, at an early age, I didn't understand how important things outside the X's and O's were. You know, ultimately, uh, it's it's a people business. Like, yeah. like if I work for a, a printing company or a hockey team, you know, if if I can't communicate with people well, I can't build relationships with people, then it's going to be very, very difficult to talk about the X's and the O's. Uh, so, 20 years, Bristol Academy, England, Lionesses, semi-final of the World Cup, Ballon d'Or nomination for Coach of the Year. You're now at League 2 Stevenage. You started a caretaker, now moves into a, you know, a permanent role, is that correct? Well, I, I, I was caretaker, and then um, they, they, they moved me back down, unfortunately, to bring a new manager in. But okay. um, we've now got a new manager I'm working closely with who's, who's brilliant and... Um, yeah, love working day to day. Love working at club, and I think I think at the moment this is this is exactly where I want to be. Sure. So you know sort of, that being your I guess your immediate immediate goal. Where do you see Mark Sampson in five years time? Then? Five years time. Yeah. Unbelievable. I'll be forty two. I can't get my head around that. To be honest, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's as, you get, right, as you get older, you'll find out. It's just you look at you look at your first ticket. I think that can't be right. <laughs> then you look in the mirror and realise it is. But um, no, I, I think what, what has coaching given me, what's my experience given me is that, you know, to be a good coach, you have to have a good life balance. And at the moment, I've got a three-year-old girl. I've got a, a great part, long-term partner. And, you know, I want to make sure in five years' time is that, you know, she still looks at me in a way that she says, you know, you're a pretty cool dad. Um so I want to make that will always be the case. That will be number one priority. Mm. And certainly being a father has helped me become a much better coach. I know that for sure. I um, totally understand that one. Yeah, it's uh, what an amazing experience. But I think where will I be in five years is that I, I don't know, to be honest. Is, and I, yeah. And I don't want to set myself those goals because I've tried to always work on a basis that, you know, see what comes, but just make sure you're ready for that next challenge. You know, get better, yeah. be better, don't stop learning, keep working hard and make sure when that opportunity is comes a knocking, you're in a great place where you, know, you can take it and make the most of it. Um, and I hope, I hope if that does come around and it's something I want to do, you know, I've worked hard enough and put myself in a position where I can do a good job there. Definitely. Look, Mark, it's been very interesting to you know get your thoughts on some of the things that we've discussed today and I thank you because you know some of the questions potentially were quite challenging and difficult for you to maybe uh, discuss with us so we do uh, definitely take that on board and thank you on that just to kind of wrap up on the, on the last one if you had 60 seconds now you know just to kind of leave the listeners with one golden nugget to take forward and maybe potentially apply for themselves within their own journeys what would that be 60 seconds not about right backs potentially. <laughs> well, I mean, also sixty seconds is a long time to talk. I know that for sure. <laughs> but no, I think look, one, one of the big messages is linked to what you just said. Then is that you know you, you haven't got to thank me for to talk about the topics we talked about. I think we it, it's all well and good saying that things will get better, but ultimately people have got a role model and people have got open conversations. So you know you should be encouraged to do that, and, and I'd encourage you to mm. keep doing it. So thank you, and I think. What, what advice should I give people is the 60 seconds. I'm hoping I've already taken up 30 of them. Is that <laughs> I think be open-minded and be brave. You know, I, I look back on my career and some of the best opportunities I got were leaps of faith. Were, were times in my life where I thought the easy thing to do is not do this. 
but I'm going to do it. And, and they're, they're the moments that I know I live for. And they've been, at times, the worst moments of my life and career, but uh-huh. they've been the best ones. And I would definitely encourage people that, you know, when, when you're, and I've been there, when you're sat in the car outside a, a conference thinking, I'm not sure I want to go in here. You know, there's, there's a lot of big people in this building and you know, I'm not sure I've, I don't want to go and speak to that person. But I think I've always benefited hugely from just taking a big deep breath and, and doing it. Uh, and, and I would definitely encourage people that, you know, be brave, take risks, take opportunities and put yourself out there. You know, ultimately, the, the worst thing, there's so many ways to put yourself out. Look what you guys are doing at the moment with a podcast. And I'm sure you've hey. had thoughts of like, Oh, you know, what if people write negative reviews, and and what if uh, what if mm. someone says that we they don't like what we're doing? Well, well, so what? You know, ultimately, if if, if you put yourself out there and yeah. you feel you're doing something positive and right, and it's making you better, then bad feedback can only make you better. And I think that would yeah, be my I mean, big advice: is that be brave, put yourself out there, take risks, take opportunities, and you never know. You know, the conversation we have today might lead to something five years down the line that you never thought would happen. But if we all weren't brave to have the conversation, it, it never could have happened. hundred percent. I think something you've, you've said there is just hit the nail on the head and spot on in terms of where, where, what I say to a lot of coaches in that don't worry about when the session's gone bad because that's the time where you're really going to learn. <laughs> Absolutely. For real. That's the time where you're really going to learn because you're not going to want to do it again. Yeah. One of the, uh, one of the, to digress a tiny bit, one of the best bits of advice challenges I had a practical example was after we finished the 2015 World Cup we we'd employed a sort of team development expert and people development expert for, for a while and I, mm. I, I I'd actually paid up my own pocket from doing a bit of work with me personally and um, he, we talked about the importance of communication and at times communicate off the spot because at half time you haven't got 20 minutes to prepare your conversation it's actually mm. important what you say but how you say it and he set me a challenge of um, going to speak at four different types of events with, without preparing. And um, it was one of the most valuable experiences I ever got because the first experience I went to, I stood in front of a room of 100 business people and I can remember thinking, I do not even know where to start. Do I say, hi, my name's Mark? Yeah. Uh, and it was a disaster the first one. After the fourth one, I was so much more confident and clear with how to speak in front of a group of people. So I think taking on, those, taking on those challenges, accepting, like you said, that you might not get it right first and foremost, but every time you do it, you get a little bit better, it's so powerful. Mm. And I think one key thing that you kind of said, you know, you've touched on there is, you know, is practicing what you preach, role modeling. You know, said it earlier, mm. put yourself in situations that are going to make you uncomfortable. And I think it's about getting to that point where you can be comfortable knowing that you're uncomfortable. Um, Great point. Well, as a player, I never once had a coach say to me, I got it wrong in my career. Yeah. I, play, I must have played 500 games at various levels and never once did a coach say to me, I got it wrong. But I promise you, every day he told me 10 times I got it wrong. And I, yeah. I always yeah. thought, this, this balance isn't right. And it didn't help our relationship. <laughs> like, so. You're human like me. <laughs> so much for framework versus freedom. Absolutely. Well, listen, Mark. It's been a fantastic discussion today. Um, again, thanks again uh, for your participation as a guest on the show. Um, very insightful for me and Ben in particular, and I'm sure it will be for the listeners. 
just want to wish you well, obviously, for the new season, obviously, uh, when, it, when it does eventually start or when you do reconvince after the lockdown, if you do even reconvince uh, at any point. Um, but thanks again. Thank you, Mark. No, pleasure, gents. I really appreciate your time and, and good luck with everything. It's, uh, yeah, been a really good in-depth chat. I've enjoyed it. Well, there you have it, guys. It's another edition of the Coaches Network Insight Series, where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world, hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential. I've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. The support is much appreciated. Please do get in touch with us and today's guests. Let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, views and key takeaways from today's show, along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed. Ultimately, guys, the show is about yourselves. The content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content. On that note, get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.